Please take a seat. And um, Alan, he's um, he's now going to bring us uh, our reading, which is from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. When Neil asked me if I would read this evening, I kind of anticipated we would be looking at some of Jesus' social work in the account in the New Testament Gospels. Uh, I was a little slow to make the connection between this passage and uh, the need for our social interaction in the world today. I'm sure you will make the connection quicker than I did. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who, were with, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, 
I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thanks very much, Alan. Well, last week we started a new series on social action, looking at the question, why should we engage with the world through social action? And the three reasons we came up with, uh, for those who weren't here, were first of all to display the character of God, the mercy of God. Um, Secondly, to follow the example of Christ incarnate, Christ who came into this world, following that example of going into the world. And finally, to demonstrate our understanding of grace. Remember, we looked at Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 25, that uh, quite um, uh, stark passage about whether when the day of judgment we meet Jesus, will he accept us into uh, his flock? Have we demonstrated that we have understood grace in the way that we've acted towards those in need? Well, this evening we're looking at the question, what are the needs of those around us that we should be trying to meet? I'd like to introduce you to uh, four characters. They're not real people, um, but I'm sure there'll be many like them that you can think of. Or maybe some character traits that I mentioned that you'll be able to relate to. Archie is 16. He's still at school. Um, but he's struggling. He's got no idea what he's going to end up doing uh, when he finally leaves school. He's got, not got many interests outside school. And so he just tends to hang out with his friends. Um, uh, sometimes they get hold of some alcohol and um, often end up causing a little bit of trouble, maybe some, some vandalism. Um, but he does enjoy drinking, feels that he loses his inhibitions, and he can do stuff that he wouldn't do otherwise. Beth is a young mum with three young children. She wasn't married, but the father of her children has left her. She struggles to look after the children, to get them to school, to cook meals for them, um, tries to do some part-time work to, to earn enough money to get by. She doesn't have time to meet up with friends now and uh, can't afford a babysitter, so she's lost touch with a lot of people and she's suffering increasingly from, from depression. Colin is a successful businessman. His children uh, have now grown up, they've left home, but uh, he's got a big house, nice car, um, enjoys a certain lifestyle. Uh, he's married, but uh, his marriage is under a lot of strain. He spends a lot of time traveling, and when he's away in his hotel room, he uh, has taken to going onto the internet and has uh, over time become quite addicted to pornography. Daphne is 92. She's a widow. She lives on her own, but has meals delivered to her. 
She doesn't drive anymore. Uh, she's not able to do her own shopping. One of her children lives uh, overseas with her family. Another one uh, lives in Cornwall and sees her maybe a couple of times a year. She goes to the day centre um, when somebody comes and picks her up. She doesn't really enjoy it particularly, but um, she's very lonely and just needs the company. Fictitious characters, but I'm sure there are parts of them who you'll be able to relate to, the sort of issues that people are dealing with. These are needy people. What are the needs that we should be meeting? What are the different sorts of need that are, that are out there? Well, I think we need to start by reminding ourselves that um, God made, as it says here, a world in which all needs were met. In Genesis chapter 1, Adam had needs. He needed food. Um, he needed something to do. Uh, he needed to appreciate beauty. He needed a companion. But all of these needs were met. God, it says in chapter 2, verse 19, if you've got uh, it's still open there, um, gave him all kinds of trees that were pleasing to the eye, they were beautiful, and they were good for food. He gave him, verse 15, a garden to, to work and take care of. And he gave him... In verse 22, a wife. Adam and Eve had no unmet needs. So what happened? Well, we know that even though they had all that they needed for enjoyment, for satisfaction, they wanted more. They were disobedient to God's command and sin entered the world. And the result of that sin was alienation. And that meant that their needs were no longer met. And as we look at this passage that Alan read for us, we do see here four types of alienation or separation. And Tim Keller illustrates them very helpfully in his book, Ministries of Mercy, as concentric circles, the most basic circle at the center. I think we've got a picture coming up. Um, is our separation from God, our spiritual alienation. Uh, then you have our separation from ourselves, our psychological alienation. Separation from others, a social alienation. And finally, at the outer ring, uh, separation from nature, that physical alienation. Let's just have a brief look at each of these in turn. Alienation from God. Have a look at verse 8 of chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It seems that it had been a normal thing for God to appear in human form and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, it gives us a glimpse of the, the intimate relationship that these first humans enjoyed with God. Quite amazing, that intimacy. Uh, if you were here on Thursday evening at the prayer meeting, we watched a video of a young woman who, who was talking about the, the privilege of prayer and how that goes some way to replace um, the intimacy that man once enjoyed. It's a privilege, but of course prayer is not the same. Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and they knew what they'd done was wrong. Um, and that has affected their relationship with God. It's now different. Where once they would walk together, they would feel comfortable in God's presence. Now they feel afraid and they feel ashamed. They no longer feel able to be in his holy presence. God is completely sinless. And it's been impossible for a sinful people to, to dwell with a holy God. 
We saw something of that when uh, Moses said to God on Mount Sinai, now show me your face. And God replied, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Alienation from God. Secondly, we are separated from ourselves. Adam's response to God is in verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Before there was a sense of being at peace with oneself. His nakedness represented the fact that he had absolutely nothing to to hide. There was nothing he was ashamed of. And now there's this self-consciousness that we we all know. The self-consciousness that um, makes us uh, have a look in a mirror before we come out to make sure we look okay. The self-consciousness that makes us repeat in our mind conversations that we've had with people to, to make sure we came across okay. The self-consciousness that makes us compare ourselves with other people and magnifies our weaknesses. The self-consciousness that can lead ultimately to anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and which all stems from the breakdown of our relationship with God. We were made to worship him with all of our lives, and it's only when we are right with him that we have that sense of self-worth that we need. So if we reject God, as our source of love, of meaning, of worth, then we try and find it somewhere else. And that's where Tim Keller talks about counterfeit idols that we somehow manufacture in our hearts. Those may be people, relationships, objects, activities that we believe will give us the fulfillment that we so urgently seek. And they are the things we end up worshipping. But also the things that leave us empty. It's only in Christ that that psychological alienation can be dealt with. Well, third, the alienation from others. Um, the end of chapter 2, we're told that Adam and Eve um, became one flesh. So Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife were both naked in verse 25 of chapter 2, and they felt no shame. But have a look at um, verse 7 of uh, chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened... And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They're not only embarrassed to be in the presence of God, they're embarrassed to be in the presence of each other. Before they shared everything openly, they were honest with one another, um, they hid nothing. And now things are are awkward. They can't relate to one another in the way they they once did. And it even gets worse. If you look on verse 11, look what it says there. Um, And God said, who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate. It's the first marriage squabble, the first blame game, the first, um, well, it wasn't my fault. First time it's necessary to find someone or something else to blame because we don't want to be the one who's guilty. We don't want to take responsibility for our actions. And if that means blaming the one we previously enjoyed such a close relationship with, then so be it. It is possible to still enjoy fulfilling relationships, but whenever we're focused in on our own needs and not on those of others, there will be tension in relationships. C.S. Lewis provides a great illustration of a a fleet of ships whose steering gears are not working properly. 
And so it's impossible to avoid having collisions. It's the same way with sin. Sin has put our steering gear out of order. And inevitably we will have collisions with other people. There will be tensions in relationships. And finally, alienation from the world. God declares to Adam and Eve that as a result of their sin, they're now cut off from the world, from nature. Have a look at verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. What should have been a great pleasure, working and caring for the garden, is now hard work. We're constantly fighting a a battle, aren't we, against the weeds that grow up as soon as we've dug them out. We fight against the disease that ravages our uh, populations of elm trees or ash trees. There's famine and drought in some countries, flooding in others. We struggle to halt the spread of diseases such as Ebola. And in our own lives we experience sickness, we experience the decay of our, our physical and our mental abilities. But before we get too depressed... That's not the end of the story, because Christ came to deal with that alienation by establishing his kingdom. The Bible is a story of God restoring his kingdom, his his reign over the world. And that includes restoring people in his image. So the kingdom of God and salvation are very closely related. And we see that in different places in the Bible. Uh, this is what it says in Isaiah 52.7. Some uh, very familiar verses, I'm sure, to, to many of you. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. They're proclaiming salvation. They're saying your God reigns. In Mark 10, Jesus says to his disciples, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And they reply, who then can be saved? Again, salvation and the kingdom. What is the significance of that? Well, it means we need to have a bigger view of salvation. Salvation is not just forgiveness of sins and a ticket to heaven. It's about a radical transformation of our lives. It starts with conversion, but it carries on through our lives as we're brought into greater Christ-likeness and it reaches fulfilment when Christ comes and we are made perfect. So this life is about bringing every aspect of our lives under the reign of Christ. It's what we were looking at this morning, isn't it? And that's why when Jesus started his ministry, what he did is he announced that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So to repent is not just to turn away from following ourselves and turning towards God, which is what it is. It's also to accept him as king, accepting that his reign extends over every aspect of our lives. Well, what's this got to do with meeting people's needs? When Christ came, he demonstrated his reign. He demonstrated that he had authority over every aspect of life. He demonstrated power over nature. 
by calming a storm. He demonstrated power over evil spirits by casting them out of people. He even demonstrated power over death, as we saw this morning. He restored those who'd become social outcasts. He befriended them. The lepers who were on the outside of society, who had to uh, warn people whenever they were near, Jesus touched. The woman who'd been bleeding for years, who, who dared to touch Jesus, he affirmed. He restored broken relationships. He healed Gentiles as well as Jews. He taught about the Good Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews. He restored those who had become lost, the prostitutes. He restored those who'd gone and followed other idols, the the tax collectors. Ultimately, he restored those who'd become separated from God by forgiving their sins. And as he did that, he demonstrated that he was a king who was worth following. A king who promises to come again and to finish the work um, that he started. Which brings us on to our role today. And as Christians, we are called to proclaim the kingdom and we're called to meet people's felt needs we proclaim his kingdom by introducing people to Jesus we share them their need to be saved we encourage them to submit their lives to to Jesus to accept him as their king but if we were to follow the example of Jesus isn't the way we do that not just by telling people the gospel but also by meeting their needs Let's turn to, uh, to Luke uh, chapter 9 in the uh, New Testament. It's got a church Bible. You'll find that on uh, page 1039. Luke uh, chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. Let's turn over the page to chapter 10. When Jesus sends out the 72. And he says to them in verse 8, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those there who are ill and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, in both cases, healing and proclamation go together. Now, not many of us here may have the gift of supernatural healing. But I don't think that means we shouldn't therefore meet people's needs. We can still heal in the power of the Spirit by restoring brokenness. Broken people, broken families, broken relationships. We can do that as we meet their needs because ultimately as God's people we are agents of his kingdom and bringing healing meeting needs is a way of bringing lives under the authority under the reign of Jesus that is a concern to us as individual Christians in the different situations uh, in which we live and work and play but also to us as a local church but how do we go about that well if we go back to the diagram of the uh, the circles that um, we saw earlier on that illustrates all those different needs that have resulted from sin. The further you go out from the centre, the more visible those needs become. 
And as Christians, we know that people's deepest need is a spiritual one. They need a relationship with God. But for people to accept that, they need the Holy Spirit to open their hearts and understand it. We can't see into their hearts. Only God can do that. But we can see their needs at an outer level. Going back to the characters I described at the beginning, we can see that Beth has problems. She's coping, trying to cope with the demands of being a mum on her own. We can see that Daphne is struggling with, with daily chores and loneliness. And that is what they need help with most just right now. And that is a door of communication that opens up other needs. It's only as these immediate needs are partly met that other deeper needs, the the social, the psychological, the spiritual, become uh, visible, as we heard earlier from from Jill. Archie and and Colin's needs are more difficult to see, aren't they? Uh, It's only as we get to know them, as we befriend them, that they may open up and share something about themselves and ask for help. Now, speaking personally, I think probably for, for others here, I think my temptation is to, to sort out the spiritual needs straight away and everything else will be sorted. And of course that's true. Um, if, that, if that need is sorted, then everything else does fall into place. And God does save people in that dramatic fashion. We've seen it. But I wonder if my desire to start with the spiritual is often just an impatience. Because we know that if we start with the immediate needs, that just will take a long time. And we may not even ever get to the spiritual. But we have to remember that people's conversion is not our role, is it? That is God's role. He will do that when he wants. He may open all those doors simultaneously, but it may be one at a time over many years. A common view about um, uh, Christians from those who are not Christians is that they're only interested in converting me. They ask themselves, do they really care about me? They often feel like targets rather than people. And the reason that um, non-Christians are not moved by seeing, uh, seeing us serve the spiritual and psychological needs of others is because often they just don't understand them. They don't feel the need themselves. They do feel physical needs. And so when they see us feeding the hungry, visiting the lonely, comforting the sick and the suffering... They get that. You know, their hearts are, are softened to Christ. And the other thing about the needs on the outer circle is that they're often met more by deeds than words. If you're helping someone with their psychological needs or helping explain to them how they come to Christ, you have to talk to them. You have to explain things. Uh, you have to find out what they're thinking, what they're feeling. If you're helping them with their physical needs then you just have to go and do something. The Good Samaritan could have done everything he did without actually even opening his mouth. For all we know, um, the the guy beaten up on the road was unconscious. He may not even have noticed who it was who helped him. And I think this is key as we finish to understanding uh, 1 John 3. If you'd like to turn to that as as we come close to an end. 1 John 3, 17. We're starting in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives 
for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What he's saying is love is giving someone what they need right now. It's not saying, well, someone else can help them with their, their health or their money issues. I'll come back later when they want to talk about God. Then then I can help them with their spiritual needs. There are some things you just have to do. You just can't talk about them. Jesus didn't just come and talk about making a sacrifice. He came and he did it. He came and he died for us. I'm sure you'll be asking about, well, where does the social action, the evangelism, how do they go together? And we will look at that a bit more next week. But what I'd like to do to finish off with this evening is just to spend some time quietly just thinking about the people we know, the people around us, the people in our lives, who we know have needs, and how we can help them. Um, What is it we need to do by way of immediate action? How can we open up conversations? How can we ask the Spirit to guide us as we relate to them and show the love of Christ to them? Let's have a moment of quiet to to do that and uh, just to ask God to put those people on your hearts. Father God, we know that we live in a, a needy world, a broken world, and that all around us there are needy people. We ourselves are needy people. And we thank you that you have dealt with our greatest need, that we were separated from you, and you've restored that relationship. We praise you for that, and we thank you for your love that you've shown us. Lord, we long to see others' lives restored. Lord, there'll be people we bump into every day, And we may not see the needs immediately. Lord, where you show us need, help us to to help, to meet it. Help us to come alongside people and uh, build their confidence and trust that they may share their deeper needs. Help us to meet them. Lord, help us not to worry that we're just um, unqualified, we just don't know what to do because we're totally out of our depth. Lord, just help us to do the little we can as we trust in you and share your love. Lord, help us to do that as individuals and help us to think as a church how together we can impact this community by, by bringing a restoration to broken lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, and our final hymn says, My every need he richly will supply, nor will his mercy ever let me die. In him there dwells a treasure all divine, and matchless grace has made that treasure mine. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, 
forever and ever. Amen.